deacon commissioning. So if you join me in John chapter 15, we're going to continue on with this series in the state of my union with Christ. And over the past five weeks, we have continued to, to come back to John 15 and, and the teaching of Jesus about the vine. And these words become even more important when we begin to understand that Jesus knows his time is limited. So he is, his death at the cross is impending. He knows that he has hours left with these men. And these are some of the final lessons that he teaches. Lessons such as in verse 1, we, say, we, we see that Jesus says, I am the true vine. Where Jesus said, where Israel has failed to love, to obey, and to trust God. I have never failed. I am the true vine. And he goes on to say, my father is the vine dresser. And verse 2 talks about the pruning work of the, of the vine dresser. How it's painful but purposeful so that we can always bear more fruit. And then in verse number four, as Jesus talks in John chapter 15, he says, abide in me. Allow my words to abide in you. As we see the, the relationship with the word of God is the key to our abiding in Christ. And then he says that you'll bear much fruit in verse five. And we, we saw last Sunday, if you joined us online, and it's so good to be back in person, by the way. Uh, but if you joined us online last, R Ricky Seal, man, Ricky's usually sleeping in the online services. So it's really nice to have you here in person. <laughs> uh, but we saw last week as we talked about the fruit, that the fruit that Jesus desires us to bear, the vine dresser wants us to bear, is fruit that has the nature of the vine changing the nature of the branch resulting in the fruit bearing the same nature as the vine. So the fruit in our lives is the fruit of the Spirit, the same nature as the vine of God. But there's one verse that doesn't seem to fit in the first five verses of John chapter 15. Verses 1 and 2 and verses 4 and 5 all deal with the vine, the vine dresser abiding in branches and fruit. But verse 3 seems to me in my finite mind this just be just a little out of place. But we know nothing's out of place because of what Jesus is doing. He knows his time is limited, so he's not going to make a mistake in what he says. And look at verse number three with me, if you would, at John chapter 15. Jesus says this, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. I'm the vine, my father's the vine dresser, my father will prune you, so abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And by the way, in the middle of all that, you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. It may kind of seem like, well, I don't really understand what, what this means, but something that will help us understand is that this is actually the second time Jesus will use these words to this group of men in just hours with only one difference. The first time Jesus says, you are clean, Judas is present. And I want to take you there. So you're going to flip back two chapters to John chapter number 13. In John chapter number 13. And we're going, to, we're going to begin reading in verse number 5. Jesus is about to wash the feet of his disciples in John chapter 13. Verse number 5, the Bible says this. Then he, we're talking of Jesus, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And now verse 7 is going to be so important. Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, 
But afterward, you will understand. Now that verse is going to be a key to everything else that we look at today. You don't know what I'm doing now, but when I'm done, you will understand. We'll keep reading verse 8. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And now here we go, these words. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Now, the word, we're not done, so don't close your Bibles there. The, the word clean here would, would be, would, is, is meant to mean pure and unstained. It's, it's innocent. When Jesus uses the word clean here, he's talking about the cleansing that takes place at salvation. So in John 13, when he says it right here, you are clean. And in John 15, when he turns to his disciples and says, you are clean, what he is talking about is you, I am declaring you clean, cleansed from unrighteousness. You are clean. Which explains why in John 13, Jesus says you are clean, but not all of you, because Judas is present. And earlier in John 13, the devil has already entered into Judas. So Jesus can't say you are all clean because Judas is there. So he says you are clean, but not all of you. But in John 15, talking about the vine, there's no qualifying statement like not all of you because Judas is not present. You are clean. And yet in John 15, we get a little bit more of an explanation. Because when Jesus said in John 15, verse number three, you are clean because, he's going to explain why, because of the words that I have spoken to you. You are clean because of the words. But, but wait a second, Judas heard the words of Christ just like all the other disciples. In fact, Judas had his feet washed just like all the other disciples. And yet when Jesus looked at all the disciples who heard his word, he said, you are clean, but not all of you. Why? And here we see that we are not cleansed from unrighteousness. We are not saved from our sins simply by hearing the word of Christ. But by believing the words that Christ shares. Which explains why Jesus in John 15 is talking of the vine and he says, I'm the vine, my father is the vine dresser, he will prune you, but you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And what does he say next? Now abide in me and let my words abide in you. Why? Because the words that cleansed you for eternity are the same words that are going to cleanse you for today. Well, wait a second. If we've been cleansed for eternity, why do we need to be cleaned today? And Jesus is going to speak into that question when he washes the disciples' feet. But John, the disciple that writes this, he picks it up later in 1 John chapter 1 when he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse, clean, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when John says that in 1 John chapter 1, he's talking to believers who have already been cleansed. So do we have to confess our sins every time we sin in order to restore our salvation? 
I confess my sin, he's, I'm, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us again. But see, what John would want us to know in 1 John 1, I'm already talking to believers, you don't need to be cleansed again to be a part of the family of God. That's a moment's notice. That is salvation. It is done. But there's an ongoing work in our life called sanctification, and that doesn't deal with the family of God. It deals with fellowship with God. Because sin distorts our fellowship with God. And Jesus is going to pick up on that in verse number, I'm sorry, he's going to pick up on that in verse number 12 of John, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, John chapter 13. Jesus is, is going to, he's already explained to Peter, I, I don't have to wash you again because you've already been washed, but I do have to wash your feet. And remember what he said in verse 7? You don't understand what I'm doing. But once I'm done, you'll understand. And in verse 12, Jesus is done. And so he turns and he asks these disciples who he just washed their feet. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Now, wait a second. He's already told them in verse 7, you won't understand what I'm doing until I'm done. But now I'm done. Do you understand? No. So he goes on to explain. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For, or because, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus says in verse number seven, you won't understand this until I'm done. And then in verse number 12, when he is done through verse 17, Jesus is going to explain what he did. I have washed your feet and why he did it, because I am going to be your example. And I don't think we get the full implications of, of foot washing. Foot washing, many of you already know this, but it was done only by servants but it wasn't even done by a Jewish servant. So if a Jewish person had a Jewish servant, that Jewish servant wasn't even asked to wash feet. It was done by a Gentile, a non-Jewish servant would wash the feet. It was such a degrading moment, which is why I understand now why Peter was sitting there. And when Jesus went to wash his feet, he says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. Makes me even wonder why all the other disciples didn't say, no, you're our Lord and our master. You're not going to wash our feet. But what I love in this passage that just gripped me was that Jesus doesn't just give an example. He gives an explanation. Not just, this is what I did, now do what I did, but he gives an explanation. Remember what he says in verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you, if you do them, he was not just giving them a command. He was showing them how to live a life of blessing. 
I don't mean a blessing that you receive because you get a reward for doing something good, but rather Jesus is showing them their blessing that only comes, only comes when you serve others. You know, I was reading a book by Francis Chan this past week, and on Friday he talked about the blessing. God gave a blessing to Abraham, but from the beginning it was always meant to be for the world. It was a blessing to Abraham for all the world to know Christ, to know God, but it was through Abraham. And it was through the nation of Israel. And it was supposed to be through their loving obedience to God that the nations around them would see that and be like, we want a part of that God, and they would be introduced to him. But remember, Israel was a failed vine. And so Jesus comes to the world, but through the nation of Israel, which is exactly what God wants to do in our lives. And Aaron, it just it grabbed me so many. I mean, how many times did you say that revival needs to come through our love for Jesus? And that's, that's what we need to understand. God's blessings to you are always meant to go through you. But not because you have to. Because he knows that the blessing of giving is a greater blessing than the blessing of receiving. It's why in Acts, Jesus is quoted as saying it is more blessed to give than to receive. And this is so important because I think so often we assume that we know Jesus is our Lord. And so it's almost as if the commandments of God are like surrender. You know, Jesus is twisting our arm behind our back. I know you're the Lord, so I know I have to do this, even though I really don't want to do it. But I will because I have to because you're my Lord. No. Have a life of blessing for you when you obey a command so jesus gives them the example and then he tells them why he gives the explanation because when you serve as i have served you you will receive the greater blessing take that and flip back to john 15 with me verse number 12 would you Jesus has concluded his teaching on the vine. But he's continuing to speak to his disciples. John chapter 15, verse 12. He says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So I'm going to pause right there. Jesus has already shown them the example of how to serve. Now he's saying, love one another, and I've already given you the example, love as I have served you. And there's no greater way to love someone than to lay your life down for them, and I will be that example for you as well. He's given the example of how to serve. He's given the example of how to love. He's given the example of how to lay down his life. And then look at verse 14. You are my friends. If you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. 
But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You understand the implications here. In John 13, as he's washing his disciples' feet, he says, you don't understand what I'm going to do, but I will explain it to you in just a moment. He gets done washing their feet, and he says, now let me explain why I did that for you. I've been your example, but also this is the life of blessing. And then as we turn to John 15, we see that Jesus says to these men, I am going to call you my friends because a friend knows why he does what he does. A servant doesn't know. So you understand what Jesus is doing. He's not just giving them a command to serve others. He's not just giving an example of how to serve others. He's not just telling them that this is a life of blessing. He is changing their relationship from a servant of God to a friend of God by saying, let me tell you why. I read that and I was like, this is awesome. Jesus takes these men who are about to desert him, deny him, abandon him, and he not only gives them the key to living a life of blessing, serve others, but he changes their relationship. And don't just serve others. <laughs> serve because you know why. And then you're my friend. So, man... How do these two texts practically apply to a deacon commissioning? Well, they answer three questions. First, who is called to serve? The answer is all of us. Every single disciple of Jesus is called to serve. What we have to understand as a church, whether you're watching online or whether you're in this room, we are not about to commission nine men to serve on behalf of the church. No one serves on your behalf. You as a church body, we are called to serve one another. No one serves on our behalf. Jesus has given us the example. He's also given us the explanation. There is a life of blessing and serving, and he wants you to experience it. So then why do we have nine men that we're about to commission as deacons or as servants in the Greek? Why are we going to call them our servants? Because they are going to be leading servants of the church, meaning this. The nine men we're about to pray over are going to be men who reach out into the church body to say, I want to help engage you in service for one another. Listen, sometimes I hear this. Well, I don't even know who my deacon was. He didn't let me know. May I encourage you, instead of having that thought, think this. I would love to know who my deacon is so I could pray for him. It's a little bit of a different thinking there. Because our deacons are not meant to serve the body of Christ. They're meant to lead the body of Christ in serving one another. It's exactly what happened over the last few days. Gordon and Linda Merritt have two ladies that they are helping get into an apartment. We reached out to the church and said, hey, do you have things? And people, Gordon told me that the two ladies were just overwhelmed with the response of the church in giving furniture and in giving money. And then yesterday, Gordon and, and Robbie Owens, and I know Jericho was there, and Pastor Micah and some teenagers, they helped move all this furniture into the homes of these ladies. And see, here's the thing. The deacons were the leading servants in mobilizing the church to serve one another. 
So who's called to serve? You. Every single one of us. Who are we called to serve? Undeserving people. Easy to serve the people we already know. It's easy to serve the people we already love. And it's easy to serve the people we already have relationships with. But think of who Jesus knelt down and washed the feet of. Men who would use those feet to run from him. Undeserving to have the Savior wash their feet. But he did it anyways. Because he was giving us an example. And he knew that the life of serving is a life of blessing. And those men were his friends. So each of us is called to serve undeserving people just as Jesus served us as undeserving people. How are we all called to serve undeserving people? We're all called to follow the example of Jesus with humility. You understand he did what none of the rest of those men were willing to do. He lovingly did what was necessary. And he did it all, as Pastor Michael loves to say, he did it all with no strings attached. It's not about what he got in return. Because it wasn't about those men. Jesus didn't serve those men for what those men meant to him. He served those men because of how much he loved those men. And when he bent to wash the feet of his disciples, he knew that they would run away. And listen, as we serve people, the people we serve sometimes will hurt us. And they'll fail because they're people. But we're not called to serve people who are going to be perfect. We're called to serve people that Jesus wants us to love because he's given us a command. He's shown us his example. He's explained that it is the life of blessing. And he wants to change our relationship from servant of God to friend with God.